0: And I am truly delighted on being with you on today. I want to first thank Dr. Hollinsworth and Pastor Scott for the invitation on being with you. Today we are kicking off a series called One Messed Up Family Tree one messed up family tree. And it's a familiar passage, but I pray the familiarity of the passage does not prevent us from learning some new helpful truths on today. Our anchor text, our anchor text is going to be centered in the entirety of chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. That's chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to read first a couple verses that's going to kind of springboard us into the lesson. Uh, Verse one says, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hera. And Judah saw their daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her, and she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. Once she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan, And yet she, again, she conceived a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Cheser when she bare him. And Judah took a wife of Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. Let us pray. Father, we come, Lord, just thanking you for this opportunity to share in your word. God, use me even now beyond myself. Prepare the soil of their heart for the seed of your word that someone else may water. But ultimately, Lord, you bring the increase. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One messed up family tree. A family tree is a type of chart or diagram representing generations of families and how they are linked throughout the years. A family tree can include names, birth dates, marriage dates, and pictures. A family tree can also be used to show direct descendants of a famous historical figure. The most important part of the family tree, however, is the root, the matriarch and patriarch. They are the foundation that the tree is built on. In this text, the root of the tree is Judah and Shua's daughter, for her name is never mentioned. This was truly one messed up family tree, and it started from the root. And it gives the indication that it faded. The rest of the genealogy was something that could be viewed as sort of a generational curse. In looking at this family tree today for a brief time, I want to explore how generational curses can grow through a messed up family tree. But let's first define what a generational curse is. According to the Gospel Coalition, a generational curse describes the cumulative effect on a person of things that their ancestors did, believed, or practiced in the past and a consequence of ancestors' actions, beliefs, and sins being passed down. The Bible mentions generational curses in several places. Exodus chapter 20, Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 5, God warns that he is a... Jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. It's with this thought in mind that we transition into Genesis chapter 38. As a piece of family history, this chapter is important in settling the seniority within the tribe of Judah, and it contributes to the royal genealogy that we see in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. The first thing to note about generational curses is this, their toxic beginning. Their toxic beginning. Verse 1 through 7, it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned to a certain Adulamite. What's interesting in verse six, it says, and Judah took a wife of Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord slew him. Marriage with Canaanites was discouraged among the Israelites. Abraham insisted that Isaac not marry a Canaanite in Genesis 24, 3. Isaac and Rebekah objected to Esau's marriage with foreigners and forbade Jacob to marry outside the clan. Like Esau in Genesis 36, 26, 34, this son of Jacob, casting off the restraints of religion, married into a Canaanite family. And it's not surprising that this family which sprang from such an unsuitable connection should be infamous for bold and unblemishing wickedness. Verse 7 says that Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. The Bible never mentions his sin, but it mentions the result of it, which was the Lord slew him. My question is, what if God still acted that quickly? What if God today still moved that swiftly when we were disobedient, When we transgressed his law, what if God still acted with this kind of vengeance? This family tree was messed up from the beginning. It started with Judah marrying someone he shouldn't. And what he has and what has been birthed in his children is wickedness. It was toxic from the beginning. Let us not only look at the toxic beginning, but let's look at the resentful actions. Verses 8, 9, and Judah said unto Onan, go in, listen, unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass, when he went into his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. It's clear that the text assumes a practice of level right marriage. This provided that if a married man dies without an heir, the next male kin is responsible to marry the widow so that she may bear a proper heir for the dead man. Onan knew what was being asked of him. But what he also understood that now that his brother was dead, he would be next in line since his brother died without a son. See, the firstborn or firstborn son in Hebrew is an important concept in Judaism. The role of firstborn son carries significance in the redemption of the firstborn son and the allocation of a double portion of the inheritance and in the prophetic application of firstborn in the nation of Israel. So the firstborn was due a double portion of the father's inheritance. But now that Ur has died, Onan now takes suit and becomes now the heir of the firstborn inheritance. So being asked to marry his son, his brother's wife and bear a son unto his brother means that he still loses out on what should have rightly been his by death. Onan would be due a double portion of the inheritance now that Ur is dead. However, if he raised up a son in his brother's name, the lineage would now be traced through his son. I.e., if you watch the Lion King, Mufasa, and Scar. If Mufasa died without a son, Scar automatically becomes king. But as soon as Mufasa had a son, Scar knows that he can no longer become king because now the lineage has changed directions. It is true that back in the old times that when a king would have sons, when his oldest son had his first child, they would have to protect that child from the uncles because they understood that once the oldest son had a child that they could no longer become king. In this case, after Ur had died, Onan knew he was next in line. And he also knew his father asking him to marry his dead brother's wife would mean that the lineage would now pass through that son. So Onan, not wanting to pass up his opportunity to be next in line of his father's inheritance, made his seed spill on the ground to not raise up a son And God slew him as a result. This incident with Onan emphasizes the steep moral decline in the chosen family. This is truly one messed up family tree. But not only do we see the toxic beginning and the resentful actions, but we also see the harsh consequences. Verse 10 says, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, Wherefore, he slew him also. Now, Judah, having only one son left, begins to think about his own lineage. And in verse 11, he asks Tamar to remain a widow until his last son is old enough to be married. Look at the consequences here. Judah, for him, the thought of his name and lineage ending because he has no heir. For Tamar, you were married to two brothers, both died, and you are now asked to remain a widow until the third one is old enough. Truly a messed up family tree. Now from verse 11 to 18, the story takes a turn. Judah's wife dies, which means no more sons to be an heir. Sheila, Judah's last son, was now old enough for marriage, but Judah did not keep his word on allowing him to marry Tamar. But Tamar still wanted what she felt was old, which was the right to be the mother, mother of Judah's heir, since she was originally a marriage to the firstborn son. Verse 14, and she put her widow's garments off her cover her with veil and wrapped herself and sat in one place which was by the way of Timnath for she saw that Sheila was grown and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought to her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. And he turned to her by the way and said, go to, I pray thee and let me come in unto thee for he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what wilt thou give me that thou mayest come unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, what pledge shall I give thee? And she said, thy signet, thy bracelet, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it to her and came in unto her and she conceived by him. So Judah's wife died. The season had came where it was time to shear the sheep, and he went in to do that and had the celebration. Tamar realizing that Sheila was now old enough to be married, but Judah, not arranging the marriage, devised a plan to still bring about what she wanted what she felt she deserved, which was to be the mother of the heir of Judah since that was her right by marrying the firstborn. So she removed her widow's garments. She adorned herself as a harlot and go by the way to make sure Judah can see her. He sees her, asks her to come in. She asks him, what are you gonna give me? He said, I'm gonna give you a kid. She said, okay, but I need you to give me something now So I know you're going to keep your word. So he gives her his signet, his staff, his ring, his bracelet. He lays with her. And she conceives. She leaves. He has no idea who she is and he goes looking for. No one can find. He said, well, where was the harlot, by the way? And they say, there was no harlot, by the way. He leaves. He goes back. Someone lets him know that Tamar is now with child he brings her in because he want her killed. She says the father of this child is the person that owns this ring, this bracelet, this staff." And Judah has a interesting response when he sees that it was him who had lain with Tamar. He says, it starts in verse 27, and it came to pass when she travailed that, the one put out his hand. Oh, let me back back up. Verse fourteen. And she put her widow's gowns on, and she went up there, and and he gave her the signet, the bracelet, the staff. And when he found out, here's what his response in verse twenty six: She had been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila, my son. He realized she was more righteous than he was. Because she was supposed to be the one that bear the heir to his throne. Because he promised her when his son was of age that he would give her to her and he didn't. He realized he didn't keep his word. That doesn't excuse what she did, but he had the wherewithal to realize his actions set this whole thing in motion. As I close... Verse 27 to 30 details the twins of Tamar. Verse 28 says, and it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand. And the midwife took and bound his hand with a scarlet thread saying, this came out first. You got to get the picture. She's giving birth. One of the babies stick his hands out. The midwife says, this is the firstborn. She wraps a string around his arm. The baby pulls his arm back in. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that behold, the other brother came out. And she said, how hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore, his name was called Perez, and after it came out, his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, his name was called Zarah. <laughs> What's interesting is, Onan wrestled for the birthright and not wanting to bear a son. Tamar's children in the womb are still fighting over the birthright there was a sort of prenatal struggle. Not unlike that of Jacob and Esau, and it brings a violent chapter to a fitting end and appropriately launches the tribe of Judah on its career. The scarlet thread is the kind of detail which a family remembers and transmit. But Perez, who names means breaking out, is reckoned the firstborn in the genealogies. And it was his line that led to Ruth, that led to David, that led to Christ. Look at what God brings forth out of this messed up family tree. David, who God said has a heart after me. Jesus, who was his only begotten son and our redeemer. God shows us That it doesn't matter how messed up your family tree is, he can still bring beauty out of chaos. The family you come from doesn't determine your future or what your life can be. God specializes in breaking generational curses. If you didn't come from a rich family, that just means the rich family has to come from you. You'll be the first. It's up to us to break generational curses. When they say it runs in the family, you respond, well, this is where it runs out. You have to speak over your own life. I will not live based on my past. I will not live based on my parents' past. I will not live based on my grandparents' past. I am breaking generational curses today. It starts with me. No matter how messed up your family tree is. I didn't grow up knowing my father. But that does not mean that my children will do the same. I wasn't raised in a household where I saw a healthy marriage. But that does not mean I can't have one. See, it doesn't matter where he brings you from. It's about what he's taking you to. What he's birthed in you has nothing to do with the family you came from. Look at the line, the family that birthed Jesus. This is the very family, the very line where Jesus was descended from. And it was a messed up family tree. But he had somebody come out of this line that not only saved this family, but was able to save the entire world. It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what your beginning was. God says, I can use you to be what changed the direction of this family. You are not fated because of the family you were born in. God does not have a caste system. It doesn't matter where you start. What matters is where you finish. And as long as some point in your life you place your hand in his, you're going to end in glory. That is the ultimate generational breaker. When you give your life to Christ, when you commit your life to him, it can break any curse that anybody attempted to place on your life. You are crafted in the image of a loving father. And that loving father is going to make sure that your life turns out the way he planned. There's nothing in your life you can do to make God love you any less. He loves you completely. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So even if you came from a messed up family tree, God may use you in the role of a savior to change that family's direction if you would only submit let us pray father we come thanking you for the example that we see in your word it did not matter how this family started the turmoil they went through for any end you birth something in this family that changed the world. Father, for somebody listening here today, they may look at the family they came from and may feel like they are dealing with the weight of something they didn't do. That they may be carrying weight, stress and pressures that have been in their family for generations. Father, we declare that the chain be broken today that you put them on a new path, that you help them understand that you can break any curse that potentially could be on their life. So Father, we praise you for the testimony that's going to happen. Father, we praise you for the direction that this family is about to go, all because of the willing vessel that they're willing to be, all because somebody today stand and say, Father, for you I live and for you I die. So, Father, we thank you for their testimony. We thank you for their life. You did not make a mistake when you placed them in that family. Lord, you placed them in that family for a purpose, for a reason, and you're going to bring it to fruition. Their life have meaning. Their life has purpose. And, Father, we praise you for what's going to happen. It's to that end we give your name praise. In your precious Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.